I want to finish the book of Revelation this morning. We've got three chapters, and so we're going to have to go kind of quickly. A lot of what we'll look at is self-explanatory. It doesn't take a lot of commentary. Or maybe a better way to say that is commentary takes away from what God says. We want to start in chapter 20. You may remember if you were with us before, chapter 19 ends with the Battle of Armageddon the, the, uh, on the last day of the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. That takes us to chapter 20, to the next things that, uh, that occur and the setting up for the thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth that's called the millennium. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Can you say amen? amen? And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Now I think shut him up means locked him away. <laughs> but I like how it says it. Shut him up. And set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. And I saw thrones. And they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. Or in their hands. And they lived a thousand years. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is, uh, as I mentioned before, this is speaking of the thousand year reign, the millennium of Christ. And Isaiah gives us some information about what that time is going to look like. In chapter 65 of Isaiah in verse 20, it says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days nor an old man that has, not full, that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be a curse. In other words, it's saying longevity of life will be restored. That's interesting. As soon as the devil is shut up into the bottomless pit, how things change. Longevity of life is restored, as I said. Someone that dies at 100 years old will still be considered to be a child. But there still will be death. And that death will be caused by the sin, the unrighteousness that is in the world. Now you need to realize something. I think it's important for us to at least consider certain things. And that is, at the end of the tribulation period, there are still multitudes of people, millions of people on the earth that were not affected by the reign of the Antichrist. The Antichrist rules and reigns over the the part of the world that we know of as Europe, the Middle East, and Northern Africa. We know this because of the Antichrist kingdom being referred to as the restoration of the Roman kingdom, and that's the area of the world that it covered. But it doesn't say anything about what happens in the West in the Americas and outside of Gog and Magog the Russian coalition army that attacks Israel on the first day of the tribulation 
doesn't tell us anything about the east. The exception to that might be the, the 200 million man army that comes from China that's destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. But there's still a lot of the earth that hasn't been affected by or controlled by the Antichrist and his kingdom. And for those thousand years, those people, unsaved, will be ruled with a rod of iron, the Bible says. Well, if they were saved, if they were for God, there would be no need to rule them with a rod of iron, would there? So there are still mortal men, unsaved men on the earth, that will repopulate the earth for those thousands of years. It's not unreasonable to think that the repopulation process, along with the longevity of life being restored to man, the population of the earth at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus during the millennium could be as great as it is now. It's possible, theoretically and mathematically, for all those millions of people that were destroyed and the church being raptured during the tribulation period, the church being raptured before the tribulation and the people that were killed during the plagues of the tribulation could be replaced in number. Isaiah 11.6 says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den. Spiritual death still rules and reigns on the earth, but with the removal of Satan, the tempter, the earth takes on a whole different appearance. The effects of spiritual death are much less than in the day that we know of. Verse 5. Oh, by the way, it makes mention, specifically makes mention of the tribulation martyrs being resurrected in verse 4. Apparently, they're not resurrected until the first day of the millennium, which would be the last day of the tribulation. But they have a special resurrection. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now let's talk about the first resurrection for a little bit. The first resurrection is made up of seven things. Four raptures and three resurrections. The first resurrection is when the dead in Christ rise first when Jesus comes back for the church. The first rapture that makes up the first resurrection is the rapture of the church. The second rapture is the midpoint of tribulation when the great multitude is taken to heaven. It's when the Antichrist proclaims himself as God and tries to make war on the 144,000 and their converts, their converts being the great multitude, and all of a sudden they appear in heaven. The third rapture is the 144,000 themselves that are raptured several months after the great multitude. We know this because the, the uh, plague of the locusts starts at the beginning 
at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, the three and a half year mark, and lasts for five months, and the, the 144,000 are still on the earth when they're in operation. So don't, we don't know exactly if it's a, if it's a total of five months exactly or just several months. But that becomes the third rapture. The 144,000 is the third rapture. The fourth resurrection and the fourth rapture. I'm sorry, the third resurrection and the fourth rapture is on the last day of the tribulation when the two witnesses are raised from the dead. Remember, for three and a half days, their bodies are kept in the streets for everybody to see. But after those three and a half days, the spirit of life comes back in them and they are raised up from the dead and then immediately raptured into heaven. The next event that takes place is this resurrection of the tribulation martyrs, which happened on the same day, later in the day, apparently, that the two witnesses are raised. Doesn't say anything about the tribulation martyrs being caught up into heaven. So that's an indication, perhaps, that the tribulation has already ended in the first day of the millennium or the millennial reign of Christ has already begun. This is what makes up what the Bible identifies as the first resurrection. You can clearly see that it makes up all those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. These are the only ones that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. It does not include the remnant of Israel that's hidden away for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And all of these people, it would indicate, have received glorified bodies. One of the interesting things is the Bible doesn't say anything about the people that get saved during the, tri- during the millennium period receiving glorified bodies. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't, but there's no mention made of it. Now, some people would look at the millennium and say, well, what's the point? If all these people that are left on the earth are unsaved, now, they're not the only people left on the earth. Don't get me wrong. The church is here on the earth. All those that make up the, the first resurrection come back to the earth and rule and reign with Jesus. Which indicates to us that the time that we spend in heaven during the tribulation period, at least one of the things that we're doing is getting our earthly assignments to come. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're going to be doing, but I'm planning to be king of the United States. There are some that will be left here that I very much want to rule with a rod of iron. (laughs) But we'll see how that goes. But remember the Bible says that we'll judge the earth. 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 6 verses 2 and 3 say that we'll judge the earth. Verse 3 says we'll judge the angels. But when will that be? During the millennium. Verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. We'll talk about why in just a minute. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are 
and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Just something about that makes you feel good, doesn't it? Now, why is Satan loosed? Well, I want to draw your attention back to one of the things that we saw during the, uh, the series that we did on the seven letters to the churches, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. You'll remember that each church was given instruction, was spoken to specifically about their situation and their things that they were enduring. And each church was given um, encouragement about this is what will happen to those that overcome. Now, with all the people that are left on the earth, the millions of people that are left on the earth during the millennium and the millions of people that are born on the earth during the millennium, born into spiritual death, but without a tempter. Spiritual death is not removed during the millennium, which means death is still passed upon all men. So they're born into spiritual death. What would be God's purpose for Jesus ruling during that thousand years? Jesus is not vindictive. It's not like he wants to show everybody something for a thousand years that he could accomplish in one day. So why the thousand years? Well, there's only one reason that God has ever put up with man's unrighteousness and wickedness, and that is so that he could bring him into his family. You'll find in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 24 that a lot of these people get saved. And you could well understand that during a thousand-year reign of peace, where everybody is forced, according to Zechariah 14, all the nations are forced to worship God. They don't have a choice. But clearly not all their hearts are in it. They see the plagues. They see the rule and reign of Jesus. They see Jesus in physical form or visible form at least during those thousand years. And you might think, that anybody that would witness that would automatically be saved or believe in God. But remember that Israel saw the plagues in Egypt and saw the glory of God manifest over and over and over again during their time in the wilderness before they entered into the promised land and even after they entered into the promised land. And that didn't make them believe. See, so many times people have the idea, Christians have the idea that if I could just see a miracle, then I'd believe. Well, if, you don't, if you're not willing to believe without a miracle, you won't believe if you have one. Miracles are not what make people believe. Now, I know that's contrary to what we think and what we expect and what we would like. But miracles don't make people believe. It's the work of the Holy Ghost on the inside of somebody after they hear the truth of Jesus. That's what makes them believe. And that's what they have the opportunity to reject. Now, since each of the churches... And each of us as individual believers have a promise from God that belongs to us if we overcome. Then how could God deal righteously or justly with these people if they don't have something to overcome? Let me put it in another way. If the people that are born and live during the millennium live through the millennium, some of them that will be born during the millennium will never know the tempter except he be loose for a short time. How can they overcome something they don't know? How can they overcome him who they've never had experience with? That's the reason the devil is, just, is released for a little time. And he does a great work. Notice he goes out to deceive the nations. 
Verse 8 again. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. To gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. He deceives a lot of people. Now don't confuse Gog and Magog with the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. That speaks of Russia. And the leader of Russia. That gathers together the coalition army to start the. The war against Israel that begins the tribulation period. This is not the same Gog and Magog. Those two in Ezekiel 38 and 39 were destroyed. So this must be symbolic to represent evil and evil people and those with evil intent. We don't know the, the, uh, the identities of these if it speaks specifically of, of individuals. But it can't be people that have already been destroyed. So we assume that it's just talking symbolically of those that are willing to do evil and willing to be deceived. Now, the interesting thing about this, which lends credibility to the idea that God is releasing Satan for a short time. We don't know how short, maybe days, maybe weeks. We don't know how short. But it lends credibility, the idea that... um, Uh, Satan is released for a short time just to give the people an opportunity to overcome. Or let's say it this way, give the people an opportunity to choose who they're going to go with. Either God or the deceiver. And Jesus deals with them in a matter of minutes. They spend their time gathering together, making whatever plans they're going to. They encompass the city of Jerusalem Their plan is to make war against the one who's ruled and reigned on the earth for a thousand years and had perfect peace. And in one moment of time, God causes fire to come down from heaven and to destroy them. So it's not a protracted battle. It's not like God's trying to show himself strong against them. He gives people a chance to make their choice for him or the evil one. And destroys them in a moment of time. Now chapter or verse 11. The scene shifts to heaven. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place in him. In the, there was found no place for them. Let me read to you from Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Peter tells us what this means. The earth, the heavens and the earth fleeing away. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Apparently that's just before this thing called the great white throne judgment. I saw the dead small and great verse 12 stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now let me read verse 6 again and remind you because it referred to the second death. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection... On such the second death has no power. But they, the church, 
the family of God shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Back to verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Here's where spiritual death is dealt with and destroyed once and for all. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. So the great white throne judgment is not for the righteous. It's not for the family of God. The Bible says that we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where we shall be judged according to our works. The things that we did that stood for eternity shall be refined and shall be for us a reward. And the things that we did for material or physical or earthly natural things shall be burned up like chaff. That's not this great white throne judgment. It's a reward ceremony for the church, for the family of God. The great white throne judgment is where the dead the unrighteous dead are raised not to physical life but to stand before God one final time and they're judged according to whether or not their names are written in the book of life God gives everybody an opportunity to see that his righteousness his judgment is just and fair no one will have any opportunity to say God you're doing me wrong because their own works shall condemn them their own opportunities that they did not take to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior shall condemn them. This should be important enough for us to care about other people. Don't you agree? Chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Folks, I would remind you that God said in Ezekiel 36 that this was his purpose for redemption, that we would be his people. He would be our God and he would dwell with us. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall be there any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, the word sorcery is uh, the word pharmacia. It means drug use. So he's talking about drug abusers here and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Now folks realize he's not saying that these people are present on the earth. He's saying these are the people that are outside of his new kingdom because they were cast into the lake of fire. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues 
and talks with me saying, Come hither and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, folks, I would submit to you that if the, the teaching that so many people do is accurate about the church being the bride of Christ, then what's the angel going to show John? Paul identifies that we are in relationship to the Lord like a bride is to her husband. But we are not, we the church are not the bride of Christ. There is no closer human relationship than husband and wife. And so Paul uses that by the Holy Ghost to show us our identity, but not our relationship. So the angel says, look, John, I'll show you who the bride of the lamb is. And he carried me away to the, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone. Most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and had twelve gates. And at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked to me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. That's 1,500 miles. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles high. That is 2,250,000 square miles. Los Angeles is about 500 square miles. Uh, Los Angeles Metro is about 500 square miles. And remember, the new, new earth has no sea. It's all landmass. And he measured the wall thereof, 140 cubits. That's about 216 feet. So the walls are as tall as a 22-story building. According to the measure of man, that is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third, a chaldency which is an agate, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, which must be onyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, which is similar to a diamond, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysolite, or chrysophyte. The tenth was something. <laughs> Chrysoprasus, I guess, I don't know. The 11th, a jacinth. The 12th, an amethyst. Now, folks, I don't even know what some of these things are. Look them up. You can't even find out what they are. So God's got plans for something that we can't even picture and imagine. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. Now, remember, there's three gates on each side of these 1,500-mile-long walls. 
Someone did some calculation from an architectural standpoint. See, we think of gates, 1,500 miles would be half the length of the country from here to the middle of the country. Well, what kind of gates would you need for a wall that long? I mean, it can't be doors the size of our doors on our church. Someone calculated that architecturally, for the gates to look right, they'd have to be 100 miles long, or 100 miles wide, I should say. And each one is made out of single pearl. Now, I'm just simple enough to think that God would do things right architecturally. What do you think? Those are one giant pearls per gate. Think about the oyster that made that thing. (laughs) I'm guessing God bypassed that step. (laughs) Verse 22, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. That's what God's wanted from the beginning was to dwell with his man, to dwell with mankind. Now, I get excited reading about this stuff, and, and my imagination starts running wild with me or maybe falling short of the beauty and the majesty of these types of things. But think about it from God's standpoint. This is what God wanted from the beginning of the world. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world before the heavens and the earth were ever created. This was God's plan. Imagine the day that this plan comes into reality. Imagine the joy in heaven when it's done once and for all, for all of eternity. No man to mess up again. No man to fall. But finally done. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now notice verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved. He can't be talking about the church. Can't be talking about the tribulation martyrs. Can't be talking about the great multitude or even the 144,000. This has got to be the millennium. This has got to be people that came out of the millennium. And the nations of them that are saved shall walk in the light of it. And again, it goes back to the idea of God putting up with man, dealing with man in, the, in, in mercy. The millennium is a time of great mercy, the mercy of God shown upon the earth. God's still looking for his family to multiply. He's still looking to add to his family. Otherwise, what's the point? What would be the point of a millennium if not to reach more people? And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. 
in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now let me ask you a question. Spiritual death's been done away with, which is the origin of, of sickness and disease. So what's the need for healing for the nations? Could it be, you decide for yourself, but could it be that these that are saved during the millennium do not receive glorified bodies? If that's the case, they would still have mortal bodies. Not subject to death, but mortal still. And so God would make a way for them to walk in health and longevity to these trees that are by the river of life. There's no mention whatsoever made of what happens to those that are saved during the millennium period. It's a mystery to us. We don't have all the answers. But it seems like if God would change them in a moment of time like he does the church, when Jesus comes back for us, it would make sense to me that he'd tell us about it. But he doesn't. He leaves it out. I'm not inclined to think God just overlooked that point. But you decide for yourself. Verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, spiritual death, and the curse thereof is done away with. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there, and they need no candle, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Now that ends the prophecy. That ends the revelation that John received. The rest of it is John reiterating certain things, emphasizing certain points. But that's the end of the revelation that takes us all the way to the New Jerusalem. Takes us to the culmination, the fulfillment of God's original plan to live in and among his people. Verse 8. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now that's an interesting statement because in Daniel, the prophecies that Daniel received about the 70 weeks, the coming of Jesus and the, the seven weeks of tribulation, or the seven years of tribulation and so forth, those were sealed. He told Daniel specifically to seal up these prophecies. Seal up this revelation until the time of the end. But when John receives this prophecy around between 90 and 95 AD, it was already the time of the end. And so Jesus says, don't seal these. 
He wanted everybody to see and know that the time was at hand. We received these some 1920-something years ago. Jesus said that the generation that saw Israel become a nation, 1948, and the generation that saw Israel, saw Jerusalem restored and rebuilt, 1967, would be the generation that saw his return. That could be us. If it's not us, it's certainly our children. Then he said unto me, See thou do it. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed my verse. Verse 10, And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Notice in relation to the end time, the time being at hand, the instruction from heaven is for people to make their choice. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be, according as his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The time is at hand, Jesus said. Make your choice. Choose righteousness or choose evil. Choose life or choose death. It's time to choose. Blessed are they which do his commandments, because they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter into the gates into the city. For without. Outside. Now this doesn't mean outside the city on the presence of the earth. It means outside of eternal life in the lake of fire. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I Jesus have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say come. The new Jerusalem that is to come is still beckoning you into it. The spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. That's the third time John reiterates it. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's got some kind of plan, folks. And the central theme of that plan is to bring people into his family. Paul said, writing to the church at Ephesus, 
that in the ages to come, God is going to show you the riches of his glory. Now, I'm not sure what ages to come really means. This speaks of an age. The tribulation is an age. We're in, a, we're in the church age now. The tribulation is the age to come following that. The millennium is the age to come following the tribulation. But what's after that? Paul said, eye is not seen nor is ear heard. Things that God has prepared for those that love him. When I was a kid, I had the idea that heaven was a place where angels brought you grapes on a platter. And played harp music all day long. And our days and our moments were filled with just worshiping God. I didn't know anything about worshiping God at the time, so I'm thinking as a child, God must be one egomaniac. For eternity to be about everybody saying, God, you're great. God, you're great. I've got a little different idea about that now. Now, what it's going to be, I can't tell you. But it's going to be better than anything we could imagine. Because that's how much he loves us. He had you in mind when he came up with the plan from the beginning. So it's time to make a choice. Now I know most of us, probably all of us, are saved. So we've already made the choice for Jesus. But folks, I would submit something else to you. It's time to make the choice to commit ourselves completely. Once and for all. It's time to quit walking with one foot in the world and one foot in the things of God. It's time to let go of the things of the flesh and our emotions and our unforgiveness and the things that we think have been done wrong to us and walk according to the love of God. If not now, when? Behold, Jesus said, I come quickly. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're in awe of your plan. We're in awe of the things that you've revealed to us about that which is to come. Lord, it stirs our emotions. It excites us in in some respects for the great and wonderful things that are ahead for us. But it also stirs us to action. Knowing that there are multitudes of people that will miss out on your goodness and your mercy. So Father in Jesus name we pray. That by the Holy Ghost. By the keeping of the words of this prophecy. You said we'd be blessed if we kept them. We read them and kept them. So we ask you, Father, by the Holy Ghost, that you would stir us and give us a heart to win the loss like we've never had before. Whether we are evangelistically inclined or not, Father, there's a world that's dying and needs Jesus. So show us our part. Show us the importance of playing our part as members of the body of Christ.
so that not one person would miss heaven and go to hell because of our actions or our inactions. Strengthen us, Lord, by the Spirit of God and by your word to live such a life that people see Jesus in us. I'm inclined to believe, Lord, that the world's not going to be saved because we say something that we've never said before. But more rather because we live a way, live a life that we've never lived before. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. We release those things that we've held against others. We release those things that have held us away, kept us away from you. We surrender. Not our will be done, but your will be done in us, in this earth. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 You know, you're going to see these things. You're going to see the new Jerusalem coming down, the heavenly city. I wonder what we'll be thinking. I wonder if we'll be thinking, we heard about this. We read about this. I wonder if we'll be thinking, wow, that's better than anything I ever thought. I wonder. I wonder how God's going to do these things. I wonder if he's going to announce it. I wonder if he's going to say, these are the things that I'm now bringing to pass that I wrote to you in my word. Walking with God is an adventure, folks. And the adventure is just beginning. The word of God says that the thing that's going to bring about the precious fruit of the earth, this end time harvest before Jesus comes to the church, comes to receive the church, is the latter rain, moving of the Holy Ghost. Signs and wonders and miracles. The word will be preached with power. Signs that confirm the resurrection of Jesus. But if if we're the generation that sees him come back, we've got to be the generation that sees the glory of God too. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. I hope these things infect your prayer life. I think that's what they're supposed to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. We thank you that you loved us enough to make these plans. Thank you, Father, for your mercy upon the world. And in spite of the wickedness of this earth, you still reach out in love and mercy. You still offer salvation. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in these last days. We ask you that the glory of God would be seen and known in our generation, in us, like never before. 
Do a supernatural work, Lord. It can't be a work of us. It can't be a work of man. It can't be church programs. It's got to be a spectacular, magnificent work of God. We yield ourselves to you, Lord, to be used. To speak when you impress upon us to speak. To act when you impress upon us to act. To pray when you impress upon us to pray. That the will of God may be done in the earth. Thank you, Father, for the great and wonderful and marvelous things that shall be done in these last days. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.